Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. We're happy to have you with us. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And today we have a very special show. We're going to do something a little bit unusual. And um, we're going to spotlight Lindsay herself today because she has some news to share with us. And in order to do that, we are going to be joined on the show by our wonderful producer, Amber Artrip. Amber, thank you for joining us today. Hi, this is so great. Thank you for letting me join the fun. Yay, Amber. (laughs) Amber, why don't you tell, just give everybody a little bit of background about you and maybe say a little bit about how this, how you got involved with this production. Sure. So I won't bore you with the details, but I am, (laughs) I'm a marketer by trade and I've been working in the business to business software marketing space for about nine years. And most recently, uh, the past four years, I've been working in the energy and sustainability data management software space, which I have loved. It's been so wonderful and fulfilling to find a way to use my marketing powers for good. I don't think there's anything more important um, I could be working on. So I feel very blessed and very fortunate. And that is actually how I met Lindsay um, as part of a marketing campaign. Uh, I already had a podcast running and I wanted to create another podcast specifically for women in our industry to have a platform to share their story. So I cold LinkedIn messaged Lindsay. I didn't know her. And I said, Hey, Lindsay, this is an idea I have. Would you be open to doing this podcast with us? And the rest is history. And it was so cool. Oh man. I, I like, I looking back on it now, I'm like, man, I'm glad I respond to LinkedIn cold emails sometimes because this is the best outcome I've ever had from one of those. Uh, But yeah, it was actually right around this time. I think I had told you, Amber, like I was thinking about how I wanted to be doing more to lift up women's voices. I'd even thought about podcasting, but I didn't know how to do it. And then this angel comes along and says like, hey, how about about I do all the stuff you don't know how to do? Um, so yeah, Amber is really, in fact, the genesis of the podcast in every way. And, um, I'm very, uh, honored that you're going to be, uh, one of the, you know, interviewers today, Amber, I, I ha- you obviously have a voice for radio, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here and I want to get into this because this is why we're here today. Lindsay, do you want to share your news with us? Sure. Yes. So um, very happy to share with everyone uh, that has been with us for all this time that I have accepted a new role. I'm going to be the CEO of the International Living Future Institute uh, starting August 9th. So uh, I'm in my last few days of, uh, of, you know, the, the preparations and I'm starting in a second. And I'm so excited to be a part of this new organization and to take on this new role. It's going to be amazing. Um, So as for the podcast, I want everyone to know that we're going to keep going. Um, The team at ILFI is really excited about what we're doing here. Um, I'm still going to be here as a co-host with Kira. Uh, Our mission for the podcast is going to stay the same the way we think about our podcast and who joins us is going to stay the same. Uh, So please stay tuned. We will still be here. I don't know that we'll be here like, you know, on the, the, the exact same cadence or whatever we thinking about all of that, but, um, but yeah, I've got a new job, everybody, and it's going to be fun. So that's my exciting. It's super exciting for, I think for the whole movement um, and for everything. It's such a great moment for this, this, new role, Lindsay, I could not be more excited for you. And of course, I'm thrilled that we're going to continue doing the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we're going to do today. So today we're going to flip it around and let Lindsay be this 
be the focus. So I'm going to kick off with a little bio. So for those folks who maybe didn't know all about Lindsay's background before this new role, um, I'll just give a little background and then we'll jump into some questions. Lindsay is a building scientist, um, a market mover and a climate activist, and she's focused on transforming the built environment to rise to the challenge of the climate crisis. She was most recently the global head of sustainability and impact at WeWork. And prior to WeWork, she grew a successful smart buildings software startup, Comfy, which many people may have heard of. And then they were acquired by Siemens in um, 2018. She also held roles at the US Green Building Council and Google. And she has a bachelor's in environmental studies from Oberlin College and an MRC in building science from UC Berkeley. So Lindsay, let's get started. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about sort of how and why you got involved in the sustainable building industry generally? What has been your path? I just have to say this is so surreal being in the hot seat, <laughs> uh, but here we go. It's fun. I'm, I'm excited. We're totally going to do this to you, Kira, by the way, one day. So get prepared. Uh, so um, my path, uh, I actually, I grew up in Atlanta. I was a theater kid. I was really into, you know, like I was in the drama club, pretty nerdy in many ways, I know. And I, I thought that was gonna be my path for a little bit, like in a weird way, you know, I thought like kids always talk about whatever being movie stars or something, but I, I did, I was, I was a legit um, like theater nerd. And at some point in my junior year, I took a class in environmental studies um, and I got hooked into it pretty immediately. I, my father was in, is, is in the public health world. And um, I think something about it really resonated with me from the angle of human health. Um, and I was very fortunate uh, that one of his friends uh, who I refer to as Uncle Howie, Howie Frumpkin, um, Howard Frump, Dr. Howard Frumpkin, who some of you may know, um, helped me find this organization called South Face Energy Institute in Atlanta. And I started an internship there and pretty much just got hooked on green buildings specifically as sort of my little corner of the world of environmental work that I dedicated myself to, yeah, starting right, right at the end of high school. Um, so I went into college knowing that I wanted to do that for a living. I was, I was at Oberlin studying ecological design. Uh, it was in a very early green building, the Lewis Center for Environmental Studies, super, super, super green. Um, in many ways, I think a living building in, in spirit anyway, um, if not actually, uh, it, it certainly isn't actually, I should say, it's not a certified living building, but it, it, it treats all of its own wastewater and generates all of its own electricity and all those things, uh, but was yeah, opened in the year 2000. Um, so I, I just, I was living and breathing it from, from that age. And, you know, there was a time when my parents would say like, you, like, you can't get a career doing this green building thing. Nobody does that. And I was, um, you know, a little worried oh, that they were right in that time. And then it turned out the whole industry took off right at the time when I came out of college and I started working for USGBC um, sorry about the acronyms, by the way. I think you guys know most of these, but um, yeah, I was at the USGBC at an, an early time. Um, it was around 35 employees, uh, which is actually, you know, roughly the size ILFI is now, which is cool. Um, and it was growing and really finding its feet. And uh, my role there was in helping to sort of mediate and manage the evolution of lead rating systems, a lot of new ones, a lot of new volunteers, just some absolute, um, you know, pillars of our community in many ways, people that were volunteering to help in that work at that time. So I got a chance to meet a lot of people uh, across the country, across the world um, that cared about green buildings. And um, in the earlier days, I think before it had, had grown into the industry that it is now, um, but I also felt like I didn't know enough about buildings. So I went to UC Berkeley to get a master's um, in building science at the Center for the Built Environment. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, I really wanted to get into the details. I wanted to understand the science. Um, and I did a bunch of research while I was there. Center for the Built Environment really focuses on these interactions between 
humans in the built environment. Um, they do a lot of post-occupancy evaluation work. They do a lot of work uh, looking at thermal comfort and sort of it's, it's not the, in other words, it's the human side of things. I think that's what they do really well. And I worked on public school buildings there and all of the very, very human dynamics that uh, occur with public schools um, and their performance. Um, then I was reaching the end of my time there. Uh, I got recruited a little bit, I guess, to go to Google and work on their real estate sustainability team was there for a year and a half, it was wonderful, super fun, great people. And then uh, was invited by a couple of computer scientists to help uh, get a startup off the ground, uh, which turned into Comfy. Uh, it was originally called Building Robotics. And uh, yeah, we grew it from an idea and a prototype in a building in, on UC Berkeley's campus into a, a really great organization, 75 people, you know, amazing clients all over the world doing essentially sort of a human centric approach to heating and cooling and in commercial buildings. Um, and it's, it's a lot more than that now since it's been acquired by Siemens. Um, but I left during the transition of the acquisition and went to WeWork. So I guess I will say sort of zooming out these jobs that I had Google and Comfy and WeWork um, they were all sort of me investigating these different levers for change in the, in the building industry. You know, in some ways, I guess you could say they look very different, the startup world, we work as a corporate, you know, et cetera. But um, for me, it's always been looking at real estate and figuring out, okay, what are, what are the disproportionate levers that we can push here, that we can pull on to get the industry to change? And in Google, I saw this industry leader that could sort of, you know, try things for the first time and show everybody what that was like. It been comfy. It was Ken technology, you know, the, in the ways that technology has so fundamentally changed so many businesses. Can we crack that nut a little bit on technology, just fundamentally changing how buildings run. And then with WeWork, it was, you know, WeWork at the time I joined was the largest real estate company in the world by valuation. We were uh, opening a million square feet a month. It was just this huge potential for change and for resetting expectations about what real estate is. So all of these moments for me have been pretty calculated um, and, and always very dedicated to what I think of as my professional community, which is this green building movement, people trying to uh, change the way that we shelter um, ourselves and and make that, I think I've come to understand it more recently as not just the task of reducing our environmental impact, but really making our buildings a part of the solution to the problems that we face in our society today. Um, that being, you know, a combination of issues related to climate change, climate justice, social justice, economic justice, um, and preparing for needing to be resilient against, you know, some increasingly rough times that we have ahead, especially related to climate disasters. So it's like all these challenges, but it's a group of people that have really started to come together in the profession, uh, you know, within the real estate and buildings industry to, to change the way that we function, to make our industry better. Um, and so, yeah, that's when I left WeWork, I really kind of zoomed back out to that level and asked myself like, well, what do we need? You know, what is this, what is this community? Is it, how's it doing? And I, I, uh, I'm really happy that I, I was able to take this time, you know, doing the podcast with you all working at RMI, not working at it, sorry, as a senior fellow at RMI and uh, at UC Berkeley teaching and stuff to really ask those questions and to get recentered on like, who am I? What am I really trying to do? And I just kept coming back to this community and its potential for change. So that's why I am where I am today um, in a not too brief nutshell, but I hope it helps. <laughs> I love it. I love hearing that from your from your perspective. And it just goes to show that like your career trajectory is not linear. There's it can go in different directions, which I think is really important for the young people listening. So tell us a little bit about your new role at ILFI and or tell us about ILFI in general. What is, what is it? 
Yeah, sure. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you probably heard us refer a little bit to it, uh, a little bit of, about ILFI before, but I'll just give you the basics. My favorite part of the basics of ILFI is the mission, which is to, to advance communities that are socially just, culturally rich, and ecologically restorative, which I think is just a super, it's so expansive as a mission, but also just visionary in the way that it's um, that it's phrased. So that's that's the that's the thing that gets me going. I hope it gets you going too. Um, it is the home of the Living Building Challenge, which we've definitely spoken about on the podcast. Also, the Living Future Conference, um, and many many other programs and people that are working on radical transformation of the building industry in different ways. Um, there's a, we publish books um, through Ecotone. There's all these different um, facets of the organization. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's, it's an organization that has its roots uh, in the building industry, um, specifically in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's based in Seattle. We are based in Seattle. Uh, the team is all over the country and it's increasingly a global team. Uh, so I get to stay in my home here in Oakland. Um, and yeah, that's the organization. We'll talk a little bit more about it, I guess, but, um, but hopefully that at least reminds people if you've heard of it before, um, it's the living building challenge people, it's the living future conference people. Uh, it's all those progressive folks up in the Pacific Northwest that have been uh, trying to shake things up for a while now. That's really helpful, Lindsay. And I love hearing the mission articulated that way. And it is expansive, but it's also specific. It's it's so great that it has those, both qualities are, are so strong in it. Um, and I'm thrilled you're staying in Oakland, of course. Um, <laughs> but I also, so, Tell us a little bit specifically about what is making you excited about um, with respect to the new role. Yeah, so um, I've been spending so much time, as I said, thinking about what, I guess what I'll say is what the real estate industry needs right now in terms of change mm -hmm. and who's capable of affecting those types of changes. Um, and I really believe that ILFI is a perfect place to be instigating the kind of change that the industry needs and to, to speed it up. Uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of those changes relate to pretty fundamental visions of the future that are different from the way that buildings and real estate work today. Um, we have a lot to grapple with and it's, yes, it's related to energy consumption and yes, it's related to water consumption. Yes, it's related to the way that we build. Uh, but there are also questions of um, who's building wealth associated with real estate and how do we start having different conversations around the role that real estate plays in our economy. There's questions about uh, how buildings shelter us in increasing disasters and what does it feel like to have communities that can be resilient um, to the types of, you know, uh, climate related weather we've been having. There's all of these expensive things that need to change and they are all interrelated, um, right? It's not just about sort of an efficiency game. And ILFI has always seen that. I, I was really excited. I'm on a listserv. Someone was pointing out the other day that uh, the Living Building Challenge is, is the only rating system that has, has always had a consistent approach to um, natural gas usage in buildings, which is to say it's always been against the rules of the Living Building Challenge to use natural gas, to burn fossil fuels in a building. And that's just the kind of organization that it is. It, it understands that you know we need to state what the vision is for where we're trying to get to in order to promote the right types of behaviors. So we're not gonna kind of tell people 10% improvement is good, uh, right? I mean, that was like a Bill McDonough thing, Kira. The, you know, we, we want to actually do good, not just less bad. And uh, ILFI embodies that really well. Um, uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited because it means that we get to speak our mind. We don't have to equivocate a, a, as much about uh, what the industry needs to do. Still means we have to bring people along, but um, 
with that vision for a really beautiful future uh, that we're trying to get to. Um, and then I'm also just really excited about the staff. I've gotten to meet a lot of them, but not everybody yet. And I'm so inspired by them. I'm inspired by all their stories and what brings them to the work. Um, it's just such a cool community. Uh, so yeah, you know, that, that part is really fun. Re joining back into a community of people who are, who are working together every day on something. I think I've missed that. And I couldn't be more honored to be a part of this particular group of people. So I don't know, so much more than I'm excited about, but those are the highlights so far. <laughs> it's amazing. There's nothing like working with um, like-minded, mission-driven people. So yes, great. Well, switching gears a little bit, um, let's talk about how you are coming into the nonprofit world from having been in the for-profit world for a while. And so what is that transition going to be like for you and what will you bring um, to the nonprofit world and what will you leave behind? Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to start with leaving behind because... Um... <laughs> Because we're on a positive note, I guess. But I, um, I'm really excited uh, to be transitioning back into the nonprofit world. It's what I had been hoping for. I know, you know, listeners have heard I've been, I had been working on my own concept for a new nonprofit, which is still the concept is still very much with me. Um, but I, I wanted, I was just starting to get exhausted. Um, uh, by some of the dynamics in the for-profit world. I'm currently very frustrated with the ways that the corporate world has been relatively unwilling and unable to respond to the urgency of issues like climate change and, and racial injustice in our society. I think we we like to think about this triple bottom line concept, right? Of the, you know, it's not just the financial bottom line, it's the environmental and the social bottom line. And I pitched that, you know, many times and was working on that as much as I could. But ultimately, I ran into a lot of moments where um, you can do good as long as it's good for your bottom line. And the moment that it starts to really compromise that, uh, you, you, you're faced with a brick wall, you know, the idea that the that, um, that a corporation uh, is going to actually make a sacrifice for the greater good is just not really in the cards yet enough. There are a couple of examples, but just not even remotely enough. And I was getting exhausted. Um, and I'm ready to be on the outside of that dynamic, and to push from the outside uh, for corporate accountability for citizenship, uh, you know, and what it looks like to exhibit that uh, in these just absolutely critical times. Um, so, you know, I admire and respect everybody that's doing it from the inside, but I needed to tap out. And I also just think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on how we push from the outside that I think I uh, can do well now that I've seen what it's like um, uh, to, to really be, you know, dealing with those internal battles. Uh, so that I'm excited to leave. I'm excited to be able to really speak my mind a little bit more and to, and to yeah, try to hold, um, to speak truth to power, I guess is one way of putting it. Um, but yeah, there are also lots of things that I've picked up. It's been a, basically a decade for me in the private sector. Um, I hope some of these things will be useful at, at ILFI or you know in the in the nonprofit world, one is just the playbook for building great products that I learned at Comfy. I think it's just a lot about teamwork and respect and the ways that you bring diverse backgrounds and expertise areas to, together to to get a great thing out into the world, a great product. Um, and I think there's a lot that can be useful about the ways that tech companies work together. Um, the, the, some of just like, yeah, there's literal playbooks that I have learned that I have a lot of respect for in the way that it um, helps you operationalize um, a great work environment for people where you have, a, you know, respect for different roles. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the last thing I'll say I'm taking from the nonprofit world that feels, or sorry, taking into the nonprofit world 
that feels important to me is that I've had this privilege of being at some organizations that have either just grown or are growing into something beyond the scale of anything that you thought was possible. Um, it's a totally wild roller coaster. Um, but what it does is helps you envision really big things, really big impact, really big communities, really just, you know, get beyond the sense of an incremental approach to change and, and feel that feeling of like, wow, we're really big now. This took off. Um, an exponential growth in just what that feels like is, um, it's just, a, it's a privilege of something I've been able to witness, but it also means that I, you know, when you kind of have a feeling for what it's like on a roller coaster, the next time you get on the roller coaster, you're like, all right, here we go, you know, um, and, and I feel that way and I'm ready to bring that sense of momentum and also just the lessons that I've learned um, to ILFI and like, you know, get on the roller coaster and try to try to do big things. Lindsay, I'm so excited to hear that because I feel like it's such it's such the right time in in the crisis, as it were, <laughs> for mm -hmm. that kind of momentum and that kind of evolution and um, the notion of that happening sort of around that mission that you just described is is really exciting. Um, and I should I should also I just want to throw in here so a little shout out. So I am. I'm a huge fan of ILFI for many reasons, not least of which the, a very personal one, ILFI Ecotone Publishing, which you mentioned, published um, Women in Green, the book that yeah. Lance Hosey and I wrote um, many years ago. Um, so it really is very close to my heart in many ways. Um, and I've always really respected that, that, um, the, that the publishing arm has remained a part of the mission and is, is still, you know, so there's a storytelling ethos inside that organization that I really love and respect. Um, but ILFI is probably, as you have mentioned, best known uh, for at, at this moment for the Living Building Challenge. And the, you know, it's it's really widely understood as the most ambitious building standard. Um, but certifications are just one tool. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what tools the industry and practitioners need now at this critical moment and what kind of role you see ILFI playing in that? Yeah, so it's funny, I haven't actually taken the time to listen back to all of our podcasts and see if how much we talked about this belief that I know you and I share and I know many people in our industry, especially in that sort of group of green building people uh, share that, that certifications we're, we're all kind of you know worried about certifications like you know are the numbers going down what does it mean are they getting too hard are they getting too easy what's going to happen next um and, and it, for me i've come to the uh, opinion that certifications are have now become this infrastructural part of our industry that are critical in the the machinations of achieving a better built world. We need them, they, they serve a really incredible sort of role there. But uh, our goal as industry changers is to find those levers of things that are going to sweep across the industry and change things you know, uh, for the better in these you know, big, big ways, large scale changes. And I think that certifications have become so infrastructural that they don't do that very well at this point. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to recognize that if we wanna see these waves of change happen, we need to do more than just revising the certifications. And so I don't think that's what we're doing right now. And I don't think that's what ILFI is doing, but I wanna state that as my opinion about certifications, that it, we are not going to change this industry in the ways that we need to change it with purely certifications. And the, the reason I think that I've been thinking a lot about and reading a lot about social movements, um, especially ones of the past you know, 100 years or so in, in, uh, in the world, not just America. And if you were to think about, you know, let's say the American civil rights movement and the tactics that they use to get the world to change, 
Imagine if the only tactic they used was to certify businesses that were taking more progressive approaches to civil rights, and they didn't go into the streets, and they didn't take advocacy uh, on head on and try to change laws. And if they, if they didn't do all of these incredible efforts to change culture and to change uh, you know, perceptions of people, and if they didn't invest in you know, creative pursuits that showed different stories about who people are, like all that stuff was all a part of a movement. And no one would have ever said like, well, the only thing we should focus our time on is like just these lunch counter sit-ins, like that's what we're gonna do and that's gonna solve the problem. We need lots of different tactics. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I've been thinking about is that for our, our movement, we have focused maybe too much on that one tactic. And I'm excited for us to diversify uh, and get into especially advocacy work, uh, changing laws. Uh, I think we need to do a lot more also in just essentially allyship, doing a better job of building alliances across like-minded organizations that wanna see similar futures to us and that we can band together and have more strength together with. And that means listening and sitting at other people's tables and thinking about where we fit in. Uh, I think it also involves a more expansive approach to what our vision is for the future. That's not just environmental, that's really truly about, uh, you know, as the mission of ILFI talks about uh, being just um, and uh, thinking about justice uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, so all of that, I think there's a lot to be done there. Um, you know, I could go on. I've got some ideas about, you know, technology, innovation, of course. But it is, it's really just trying to remember what the end goal is here for us, which is to change an industry and to think creatively about all the different ways that we could do that. You know, maybe we have a new show on HGTV and maybe that changes the industry. <laughs> Let's just think outside the box for a minute and, and reset and know that it's our job to do any one of those things that we think might change, uh, change the world for the better and not just to kind of get hung up on, on the one thing that we built that has worked, you know. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm headed. I know a lot of folks in the ILFI community share that opinion as well um, and, and that the organization's already started doing a lot of that. So I'm just gonna show up and try to boost that that uh, that attitude. Uh, obviously, continuing to invest in the certifications themselves and have them work as well as they need to, you know, for the industry. Um, so it's not about uh, lifting our foot off the gas, as as you would say, or off the battery uh, in the realm of certifications. It's absolutely about continuing to invest in in great certifications and in having those work for the industry, but also we need to do other things at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited about all of it. I'm excited about um, the expansiveness of what we get to do. I'm, I'm excited too. I'm excited for you personally, but also for the industry and, and for the organization. So as you are making this transition what's what's on your mind what are, what are you know what are you thinking about what are you focused on oh yeah i mean so many things as you can imagine like it's just a it's an incredible jump i mean first of all i want to say how how humbling the whole thing is for somebody like me who's really i came up in this community um so i'm just really honored um and that in of itself is an emotion that I feel all the time to get to lead an organization that's already here in this community um, and to sort of be given that space to help to lead the community um, in a more, you know, in a more meaningful way. Uh, this means so much. Um, and so I think part of what that has translated to for me is uh, spending a lot of time being very intentional about how I'm showing up. Uh, I have always thought a lot about what kind of a leader I wanted to be. Um, that was the case, especially in my comfy days. I just spent so much time working on that and thinking through, uh, you know, I mean, some of it's like, what kind of a boss did you want that you didn't have? Uh, 
but I think more so is that I didn't feel like when I was growing up, I had a lot of models for leadership. I still don't, frankly, have a lot of models for leadership that look enough like me that I could sort of draw a path for myself of how to get there. Um, you know, in particular, like when I was a little bit younger, but still a professional, the, that like Sheryl Sandberg book uh, came out, Lean In, and I just did not relate to her. I, 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 no one had ever called me a bitch in the workplace. And like, I mean, at least not that I know of, I'm sure, who knows, maybe somebody, you know, but it's not, I'm not that type of person. And so it made me think that I wasn't meant to be a leader, you know, that, that because I uh, listen I, and I'm not always the type A personality that that meant that I didn't belong. And, um, and, you know, I will say, first of all, I think that's the patriarchy that, <laughs> that, is, that led me to believe that, um, you know, a lot of, we've, we've had a lot of women on the podcast talk about how they felt like they had to exhibit uh, traditionally masculine characteristics uh, in order to be seen as a leader. And I've always tried very hard to not do that um, and to exhibit, yeah, just my, who I am and how I come off as a human uh, and to bring that to leadership and have that be okay. Um, so that's a lot of what I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking a lot about the organization and the people whose lives I'm coming into and what I, what energy I want to give to them, to their lives and what kind of a person I want uh, them, or I, I want to have, what kind of a person I want to be in their lives. Um, which in many ways is, you know, I want to be someone that is inspiring. I want to be someone that is uh, including and create space for people that come from very different backgrounds. Um, I want to be uncompromising on that on those things. I want to, you know, really show up and be a good ally in all the ways that I need to be. Uh, and those are hard, you know, like I'm still on, on, uh, I'm on a journey uh, to get better at all of those things. And so it's intimidating, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the work I think at hand for me. That's the stuff that's on my mind anymore. Anyway, I'm like re going back through all of my Adrian Marie Brown stuff and, you know, uh, all of the other, all the other wisdom that I've been learning over the past couple of years from the, you know, all these books you guys have heard me talking about that I'm reading about social movements and uh, black feminism and all the things just to be like, all right, how do I, how do I live this as well as I can every day? Uh, so, you know. <laughs> See, I love that. I just, <laughs> I love how thoughtful you are being about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that hears that and thinks how wonderful that, you know, it would just be wonderful if all of our coworkers and, and bosses and leaders could be so thoughtful about what that is like. I mean, you're coming into a dynamic and you're going to be a part of that dynamic and you're, it's just so, I, I really appreciate all that thinking that you're doing about it. It's lovely. Um, I just want to shift gears a little bit. And this is, so you were saying before that this is surreal. This is where it's going to get a little surreal because <laughs> we get to ask you this question that I think is one of the fun ones that we ask all of our guests, but it's about, um, the question of the industry and you were just mentioning it and how you were, have grown up in this industry, the green building industry, which is also often thought of or referred to as a movement. And so, um, as we ask our other guests, do you feel like you're part of the industry or the movement or both? And how do you think about that for yourself? Uh, well, I have to say, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of, our, of the giants of our guests on this one, because they've given such good answers that it's easier now for me to articulate mine. Um, I think it's important for us to be able to distinguish between being a part of an industry and being a part of a movement. Um, and so in many ways, I think I'm, I'm taking those hats on and off um, over the course of a day or a week or a year, um, because in some ways, what I'm doing is trying to get an industry going, like an, an industry that is a positive industry. I don't think there's anything negative about that term. Um, you know, we're trying to 
produce shelter. We're trying to keep people housed well, like all that stuff. That's the, that is the thing that we kind of get paid to do in the world. Um, but then at the same time, I have this hat where I'm trying to change the system very directly and very um, st structurally. Uh, and so I think one of the things I, I did wrong, frankly, in my 20s was to assume that if you're doing something that's great for the industry, that it'll be great for the movement. And I'm really trying to not do that anymore. And to say what's important to me, frankly, is what's good for the movement. Um, what, in other words, what produces change in the industry that needs to happen. And sometimes industry is going to do great with that. Sometimes it's going to go really well. And sometimes it's going to hurt. And I think that that pain is unfortunately necessary at this point that we are in in our world. And I'm, I'm ready to help coach people through the pain, but ultimately at the end of the day, the change has to happen. And that's my, that's my priority. So thanks to everyone who helped me uh, <laughs> be able to say that. Cause I think it's a lot of these answers are like, my answer is a, is a collection of things I've heard from some of the brilliant women we've had on. I love it. Well, let's, let's talk about the progress we've made. Uh, where did you think we would be in the 2020s as an, a movement or an industry? Yeah. Well, at Oberlin, when I was there, we, we used the year 2020 as a, as a milestone, as like a finishing line, um, finish line of, of, of the work we were doing. And we thought of it as being the time when, when buildings would be, uh, you know, self-sufficient, when we would be, we would have gotten rid of all the toxics. Uh, we would have, you know, changed the way that we build and term, you know, process-wise. Uh, so, like, yeah, we didn't do that. Uh, and I think that had something to do with the naivete about industry versus you know, what, what change needed to look like. Um, that said, we did make an incredible amount of progress. Um, and I'm proud of every little bit of it. I'm not going to give it shout outs. I think we've done a lot of great things. Um, but, but for me, I guess, um, what I thought we would have accomplished in 2020, it, uh, in retrospect, I think, you know, we didn't push from the outside enough. We didn't kind of, we, we did everything we could to achieve these sort of win-wins uh, in the industry of saying, okay, if everybody, if, if industries just see, if the real estate industry just sees that running a green building is cheaper, uh, then, uh, then they'll do it. And I think what we have done as of now is that we've proven that building better buildings is cheaper, is healthier, is more just, is more delightful, is a better contribution to society. Um, it, it, you know, all of those things, you could keep listing all of the ways in which the ways that we want people to build are always the best idea, always the best idea. Um, but we haven't yet um, gotten all of the barriers out of the way to enable people to make those decisions to actually get all of these buildings built. So the good news is we've proven that this is the future that we all want and that it will be great, <laughs> that it has all the impacts it needs to have. We got the data, et cetera. Very proud of that. But yeah, we haven't made it easy enough to do that yet. And that is not, you know, that that's because of really underlying um, it, you know, structural issues that we need to work on with other people. <laughs> so Lindsay, where do you see ILFI fitting in um, to some of those pressing issues that you were just describing? Oh, you know, I think um, I, I see it as being, I, I guess I've been looking at environmental organizations and social justice organizations and thinking about how they view themselves in the world. And uh one of the things that I've admired in some organizations that I've seen is that they serve a role in their industry or in their community 
of just showing up and expressing their visions of what a better world could look like, of engaging and having patience and, and you know, being a part of the change that they want to see. And so, you know, to me, it doesn't have to be this question of how specific you get about, you know, ILFI changing some of these issues, you know, you know, having specific programs. Right now, what I want to say is just, you know, nonprofits are there to be a part of an, a, a, a community or an industry uh, and to understand it and to be a part of it and to genuinely respect it and love it and also always try to make it better and, and try to, you know, disrupt the things that need disruption um, and to call out the things that are wrong. That's the, that's the great um, privilege that we have. It's a challenge, right, to be that voice in the room. Um, but I think that's when you know that you're doing the work well, is when you, you know, you are respected and loved by the community, but people also kind of know that you're there to point out what isn't happening the way it should. Um, so I just want us to be an organization that feels that the freedom of that expansiveness in asking these questions and in being a part of a community uh, and not, you know, always feeling like, okay, well, we have to stick specifically to the things that we've, um, that, you know, we've already stated an opinion on or whatever. I think we have a big role to play. Um, and somebody needs to fill that, I think, in the industry right now. I, fr I frankly think that our building industry needs a great, consistent voice for change that shows up and is unequivocating and speaks about the world that we need to get to. Uh, so ILFI is really well positioned to be that, and I'm excited to encourage it <laughs> to, to continue that, um, that role that it can play. I love it. Lindsay, I am just continually inspired by you since the day I reached out to you on LinkedIn. So it's so great to hear you on this side of the podcast. And um, thank you for letting me be a part of it. It's been so fun. We're running out of time though. So I'm going to ask you the last question we ask um, all of our guests, which is who are you most inspired by these days in terms of leaders in uh, the climate movement. Yeah. All right. So I've been thinking a lot about, as you could probably imagine, women that are leading organizations and what it means to be um, a great leader. Um, and I should say just anyone leading organizations, frankly, but I, I stumble upon a lot of women and non-binary folks that are in leadership roles. And the thing that I, uh, okay, so one person I wanna specifically shout out is Stacey Abrams. Uh, I think partially being from Georgia, I feel like I've learned a lot from the way that she talks about her work and the way that she's bringing her full self to the world and, um, and the way that she just got down to business to change something and to kind of get to the root of a problem and focus on that, um, you know, without, a lot of ego, right? Like just trying to 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 speak to the issues, work with effective people, um, have such a great supportive team, have a a network of organizations that that she works with, right? It's not just all about her organization; it's about this community that she's a part of. Really inspired by by her um, as a leader, and and a lot of uh, women that come from that background of having learned community organizing and advocacy uh, through a lot of these legacies of, of communities that have been fighting the very difficult battle of racial justice in America. So like all, all, a, lot of, a lot of those folks um, have been inspiring to me. But because but I, I think it's a particular thing to take on the responsibility of being in a, in a leadership position um, without doing so with a lot of, uh, you know, defensiveness with a, without a lot of selfishness about what you want to see happen. Um, and, and, you know, the self selflessness that is exhibited by some of these folks that have been working, especially on 
uh, on justice for black Americans. It's just, it's just incredible. And I've written, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I should say, as you all know, my partner um, always reminds me that it's not just an American thing. He's, you know, he's a scholar in every way that uh, uh, would remind me of that. But like, yeah, the, the international struggles and the leaders that have come up in those struggles that have figured out ways to have it not be about them, but have it be about the struggle. A movement for Black Lives. I mean, that's that's obviously one um, because they took that conscious decision to have leadership. Yes, it's necessary. It's important, but um, but you don't want to have the leader be a point of weakness um, in the movement. And so, yeah, shout out to all those people, but especially Stacey Abrams. Uh, and I'm not sure that I'm necessarily going to be publishing any novels anytime soon, by the way, but um, I think it's amazing that she did. So, I love that, Lindsay. It's really powerful. And I'm a big fan of Stacey. I read her novel too, by the way. You did? <laughs> I <Yes>. did. Oh. <laughs> well, I was just so curious because like, how did she have time? I know, but that is the way that she had time is that we all have to do things outside of our work to be humans in the yes. world, right? Like, and if that was her thing, then yep. that's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, so uncomfortable to talk about yourself for so long. I don't know how all of our guests do it. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, yeah. you did, I thought you did very well, Lindsay. It was lovely. Yeah. And I think it's actually great to hear all the details of you know your background and what you're bringing to this. And it's so exciting. So congratulations on this exciting moment. It's terrific. And I'm glad we got to mark it in the podcast. Oh, thank you. It means a lot to get to talk to you all about all of this stuff. It's such a delight and I'm so excited that we get to keep doing this and and so excited that I don't have to talk as much next time <laughs> uh, well I should should I do the outro I guess I will um thank you all for being with us uh it's a it's a pleasure as always to have you thanks Amber in particular shout out to Amber this week for uh for your for for being the co-host and for being an amazing producer Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is the joy of my week. Every week is getting to sit on this podcast and listen to incredible women tell incredible stories about the great work they're doing in the space. So thanks for having me on this special episode and congratulations, Lindsay. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Amber. And thank you for being a joy as well all the time. Uh, and just a badass in every way. Um, all right. <laughs> so I guess I'll just say um, the outro. That is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>